Let's share in just a moment of prayer. God, I thank you. We thank you. Because you've made yourself a God that's seekable. You've revealed yourself to us. I love the scripture in John chapter 1 that says, The word became flesh, the very logic of God himself. This unseen, unknowable, mysterious God became flesh and dwelt among us, that walked upon soil, that lived within shelter, that ate food that was raised, that had relationships and friendships. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, making himself seekable. And you established a church upon this earth of people who would seek you and would know you, who would grow in you and embody your presence here. God, I'm thankful that you've called us to be representatives of you. God, and we celebrate what you're doing here at Tri-Cities Church, a community of people who just want to seek you and know you. And God, I thank you that our seeking doesn't end in frustration because you've made yourself knowable. You've made your will knowable that we might know it. And by the power of your spirit, take bold steps for you. And so God, I just pray that you continue to help us to be a community that does just that. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, yeah, good morning. Welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Hey, you should know by now, and um, just as a matter of update, hey, we're, you know, we've been in this building since, uh, for two years, um, and we announced several Sundays ago that we are in the process of purchasing this building. Um, and that is a process, right? That, um, it's different than, uh, you know, I, you know, I, the way I would hope that it would be would be just like a, um, uh, kind of with a, with a house, right? You you find a house, you buy it, right? Uh, you might go through a little bit of an inspection process and all that, but because uh, church buildings are places where people um, gather uh, and you have certain uh, codes and uh, uh, safety things and health things and fire things that have to be taken care of and permits and licenses and all this kind of stuff that you have to go through processes. It is a process. And so, but we are in the process of, of, of buying this building. And in that process, we've had several people, engineers, construction management people, architects, uh, code inspectors. We've had different people walk through this building. And one of the things that's been um, most encouraging for us is that everybody walks in this building. And one of the things they say is, man, that's a solid church building. Like that is a solid, whoever built that, that is a solid building. And so we've been encouraged by that fact that we're not uh, buying something that people are walking in and it's going, you want that? Like, you sure? Uh, <laughs> you know, like, like, yeah, I mean, and so it's been encouraging for us that, that people are walking in there saying, hey, that's a solid building. It's been there a long time. It's going to be there a good long time. And, and that's a good home for, for your church. And so um, we're super, we're super excited about that. Um, but, but as we walk through this process, the, um, the date for closing, 
closing, which is kind of tentative, but it's the end of the year, so it'll be in December, uh, probably the latest time in December that we can possibly close. Uh, we want to close this thing out by the end of the year. But we have a lot to get done uh, between now and then, and so you'll be hearing a lot about this process of us uh, purchasing this building and the things that have to get done and how you can be involved in helping us make that a reality. Um, and so between now and then, we have some cleanup work we have to do. We have some updates we have to do. Um, we have some fundraising that we have to do to raise money to be able to buy the building. So we've set a goal uh, of $150,000 by the end of the year. We like, yeah, we like to be able to, right, let's get excited about that. Yeah. We, we, we like to see, um, $150,000 raised by the end of the year. Um, part of that's going to go to updates in the building. There's some, some things that we definitely want to do, need to do uh, in this building to make it a place uh, that is more accommodating and, and also up to code in some ways. Um, also, we'll have to pay a down payment. I think we said the price um, that we're buying this building for is $400,000. I had appraised for $600,000. Um, and great things are beginning to happen in this community with charter schools starting to pop up around us. And this is just a great neighborhood community for us to be planted in. And so we're excited about uh, uh, the generosity of Point University as willing to sell it to us for the, a price that we can afford. Um, but, but we have to get on top of it and begin raising money. Now, as, last time I checked, I think we were $29 away from $8,000 already being raised for the building. Um, and we're excited about that because we haven't even, like, we haven't really even started asking yet, right? This is my first time telling you what our goal is, that we're going to begin raising money and all that. So we haven't even begun asking people yet. Um, and, and we're already at, at $8,000. So we're, we're, ex- we're excited about that. Now, I believe a very firmly that this is a God-open door. There's a scripture in Revelation. I just want to read it for you. It may sound familiar because we just finished a series in Revelation, but listen to the scripture in Revelation 3, chap, uh, verse 7. It says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. This is, this is the words of Jesus Christ. I know your deeds. And then he says, see, I've placed before you an opened door that no one can shut. I believe that this is an open door from God. We, as a church, at our very core, is we want to be a people that seek God, that seek his will. Um, and we believe that God has opened this door. Now, when we started Tri-Cities Church, Jamie and I, in no way that we say um, were we in a rush to a facility that we would own. That We were in a school. We thought we'd be in a school for years. We were thinking we'd be renting space. We were totally fine with, uh, with that. But we feel like this is a God-opened door, that God has open this door and and he wants us to walk through it uh the the second thing we believe is that this is an opportunity for tri-cities church to be generous to exhibit our generosity um a very core value of the church right our world exists and is sustained by god because of his generosity and the more generous that we are as his people um the more we portray his image so that's the second thing this is an opportunity for generosity Third thing that we're going to see through this whole process um, is that this is better together, right? God began a story right here on this corner um, um, uh, long before, maybe not long before some of us, but before I think any of us were born, maybe, in the 30s. 
<laughs> I shouldn't have gone that one, down that one. Um, but God began a story here of a movement of people that would come to know him and believe in him and grow in him and be sent out from this place into the world and would bear witness of him. Point University, whose campus was next door, was, was a representative of that. Westside Christian Church that was right here, planted in this building, is representative of that. This building after that became Westside Chapel for Point University. There is a Westside story, right? On the west side of East Point, there is a Westside story that God has been writing for a long time, and we believe that he's calling us to continue that story. And so, yeah, we're excited about this, and it's better together because we're not writing this story by ourselves. We believe that there are others who will come alongside us, as they have in the past, to see Tri-Cities Church Planet, that believe in the West Side story. And that they're excited about continuing that story right here on this corner. So I believe very firmly in my heart, um, and I even stated as a guarantee, um, that we're going to see others come alongside us and that this thing will be better together with those who believe in God and believe in the West Side story that God began right here. So let's get excited about that. Now, one of the things we want is we want, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things we want is we want you to be informed, right? We, we want this whole process to be something that as we gain knowledge of what, what's happening and what the process is, we want you to be informed and to know um, what, what, how ways you can get involved, ways that you can help and all those different things. So we've put together a team that we're calling the B team. And in this, this way, the B team is a good team um, because it is the building team. And so we have several people on that team. We have uh, Karen right here. Karen, if you could just stand so people can see who you are. Uh, and and the other Karen, uh, Karen uh, Davis, Karen Floyd, I, I call him Karen Squared. Um, we have uh, Adam Stovall. Is he? Okay, there's Adam is on the, on the team. And we have uh, Shannon Short right there. Yep. Um, and I think that's it. It's up for Mark Bowling, um, who's not here. But there's a picture of Mark. Um, so if you don't know who Mark is, uh, that picture should probably jog your memory. Hey, this is the B team. They're the building team. Hey, and they are informed, up to date. They're helping to lead this process uh, with our church. Um, and, and they're helping us um, in, in various capacities. But also, um, they're the ones that you can ask questions. And if they say it, you can trust it. If somebody else says something, um, do not trust what they say. Right? If you hear it from somebody on the B team, it, it, it's trustworthy. They are staying up to date in this whole uh, process. Um, so, so, uh, so feel free when you see one of them to ask them some questions. Uh, if you have any questions about this process, feel free to ask me, feel free to ask Jamie. Hey, we want to be open and transparent and we want to lay out how this whole thing is going to play out. The biggest thing that we can do, now I said we have to raise $150,000. We need to raise $150,000. We are, we are headed full, full force toward, towards that goal. Um, but the biggest thing you can do, um, is to be praying, you know, maybe you write this down somewhere. Maybe you have a list of things or people that you pray for. Hey, put this on that list and begin praying for that. Um, because this, this is the thing that we've come to believe wholehearted in. Um, and that's that God opens doors that we can't see. So God has opened a door uh, for us 
to be in this building. But since opening that door, God has opened other doors in the process already. And we believe that God will continue to open doors so that when we are in this building, well, we're already in this building, but when we have closed on this building, we will look back and we'll say it was the wind of God in our sails that was keeping us moving forward. And we believe that's going to happen. We believe that is true. And we believe that our faith will grow as a result of it. Amen. All right, so let's pray and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us the opportunity uh, to be here this morning and that you've opened up this space, God, that you've helped us to recognize a God-opened door, an opportunity to seek you, to please you. And God, we, um, we don't want to just be building owners. There's no joy in that. <laughs> There's no glory for you even in that. God, we don't want to get to a point where we say, we've closed, we've done it. (laughs) Because if that's our hope, (laughs) if that's our goal, it's just another building on a corner. But God, we want to secure this building as a tool for your glory. We want to see it filled up with ministries and opportunities and people who are, who are, um, who are, uh, hurting people who are seeking you, people who need to know you, people who need to grow in you. God, we want to see this building used for your glory. And so that when people drive by, they won't just know that as another structure on the corner, but they will know this building as a place where you are glorified, where lives are transformed, where this community and the entire Tri-Cities is made better. Because we believe that that is your will. And we believe that that is impossible apart from you. So God, we say, do it. Do it in a way that this world will know, that our community will know, that it is our God who has done it. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning we're continuing in our series in the book of James. And we talked about James being a book of wisdom. It has all kinds of wisdom for our lives. I think it's one of the most practical books in the entire Bible. Now, as I was reading the passage for this week, I believe we're in James chapter 1, verse 19. The thing that just kept coming to my mind was uh, how fascinating the human brain is, right? The human brain is so complex. In fact, you can go online, there's all kinds of information. There's people that have done studies on the human brain. And, and doctors are always... Because this is the interesting thing about the brain. It's like you, you have doctors and scientists who have come to some level of understanding regarding the brain, but they're always coming to new discoveries and a deeper level of understanding of how the brain works because it's one of the most complex organs in the body. And I think the more we understand it, the more fascinating it becomes. Now, the brain, um, the thing I, that, that I, I, as far as I understand, don't... Um, uh, maybe don't, don't quote me on this because I'm not a surgeon or brain person or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but the brain, if you, if you ever look at like diagrams or any of those kind of things, it's divided up into different lobes, different sections that serve a different purpose. But the, the neat thing about the brain is that those different lobes, those different sections, uh, communicate with one another to, to, 
to help us be a human being um, that's able to process different functions at the same time. So our, our brain uh, deals with behavior modification. Like it, it directs our behavior, but also it keeps our balance, right? It, it allows us to memorize things, but it also allows us to intake things. And, and the, the cool thing about the brain, at least I think, um, is that it, it it, it can multitask very efficiently, right? You can do multiple functions at the same time. So, um, I, like, I'm, I'm up here talking, right? Um, and so my brain is doing that, but it's also helping me balance at the same time, right? When I We can talk and walk at the same time, at least most of us. We can talk and walk at, at the same time. Our brain doesn't have to shut off one compartment in, in order to, to function in a different compartment. And so the brain does all these functions that are happening all at the same time. It's extremely complex. It's beyond our understanding. Um, but, but, it's, but it's very fascinating to think about how quickly our, our brain processes this different information and how quickly it, it responds to stimuli and different things that are in our environment. The other day I was... Um, I've been doing a lot of yard work in my backyard. And y'all heard about my backyard a little bit in the past, which was a mess of a yard, and um, I had this wood pile back there, and I've been trying to clean up this yard, and I had this wood pile back in the backyard, and um, I, when I made this wood pile, I had a bunch of trees I cut down, and I had split up some wood, and I just kind of threw this wood pile, um, just just kind of threw it together, stacked this wood, and it was messy, and it was falling, and it was hard to get wood out of the pile, and so I, I said to myself one day, I'm going to restack this pile, and I, I found, um, uh, since we've been in the house two years now, uh, I've found several small snakes uh, in the backyard, and one small snake had gotten even in the house, right, and so I read something online about you want your wood pile to not be stacked on the ground, right? Um, that you want it off the ground, elevated, not just for the woods being dry, but for bugs and all kinds of stuff. So I decided I was going to unstack this wood pile. Now, I was certain when I uncovered it and began to unstack it that I was going to find a snake in that pile um, because I had seen some small ones, and I knew there were probably some big ones lurking around somewhere. And, and I, I, um, I'm an outdoorsy kind of guy, but I do not like snakes. I'll just be honest. I, I just, I, I don't like snakes. I don't touch them. I don't like to get near them. Um, any of that. And so I'm unstacking this wood pile and I get down to maybe the last row of wood. Maybe, maybe eight pieces of wood are left. And, and I remove a piece and this rat the size of a football, right? This thing is like this comes running out from under that pile. And I, I, I felt like if I didn't jump in the air, right? <laughs> That that thing would have gone straight over my foot, right? And so I jump up in the air, and and then, and then yeah, this is interesting. Uh, I jump up in the air, and immediately I look around to make sure nobody else saw me because I was kind of embarrassed. I think I even squealed a little bit. <laughs> uh, but but I but I began thinking about how quickly my brain responded to that situation, right? That rat came out and I was in the air in, in in a matter of milliseconds. It wasn't even a second before I got up in the air and out of its way because I didn't know what it was. I didn't know and then I, I looked and this, this this poor little rat. I don't know what he's been eating in my yard. Probably I don't know, they eat snakes, whatever rats eat. This thing has been eating, it was wobbling. I mean, as it went away, it was like and it could hardly get out the yard. I could have chased it down and caught it. <laughs> um, but um, it's, it's just fascinating how quickly, right, how quickly the brain can react and respond to things in, in milliseconds. From my eye perceiving that, right, to me reacting to it happened just like that. 
Because that's how the brain operates. Right? And there's an emotion that happened there. And that emotion was fear. And that emotion is in the amygdala, which is like right here in the brain, the kind of the temporal lobe, kind of up the, towards the front of the temporal lobe in the brain. Um, and, and there's that, that emotion comes from that section of the brain. And it's almost like an automatic thing. You know, what's, what's fascinating about the brain is that we can train it, right? There's been a lot of research that's come out recently that talks about how we can train the brain. I don't know if you've heard of Charles Duhigg. He wrote a book that was a New York Times bestseller that's called The Power of Habit, where he began talking about how there are cues that set our habits into motion um, and that there's a response and there's a reward according to our habits. And, and people from, from the beginning of time have been trying to set good habits, right? And they've been trying to break uh, destructive or negative habits. And so this guy, Charles Duhigg, wrote this book, this kind of groundbreaking research on the brain and how we can understand the power that our habits have and how we can transform those things and, in a sense, transform the automatic processes of the brain. Because he talks about a habit being an automatic process. It has a trigger. It has a cue um, that it reacts to, but often we don't know what that is. We don't understand it. But but his, his what he's saying is, if we could understand that cue, right, that trigger, then we can change the processes of our brain. We can change our automatic responses, and we can break our habits. Now, in emotions, emotional responses are similar to habits, right? I I didn't, I didn't have a, a moment to decide whether I was going to respond to that rat or not. I just responded. Just like our habits have, they, they seem to be automatic. They just take place without our really even thinking about it. It just, it just happens. But the brain is trainable. And just like we can control our habits, we can gain control of our emotions. Now, in James chapter 1, our scripture for the day, verse 19, we see that James does this really um, peculiar juxtaposition between listening and doing. And he holds this up to teach us the wisdom of managing our emotions, but particularly our destructive emotions, right? Right? He's teaching us the, the, the wisdom of managing these emotions that are often automatic processes of the brain, which happen without us even thinking about it. Listen to the one he uses. He uses the perfect one, uh, which is anger. In James chapter 1, verse 19, he says, My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, let's, let's pause right here. And this is good advice for all of us, right? It doesn't matter who you are, uh, um, uh, how you process information, uh, where, what you do for a living, how young, how old you are. This is good advice for all of us. And so I, I think I actually underline this in my Bible. I need to underline it, circle it, highlight it put a bookmark there. I, I mean, I need to put something there. This needs to be something that I hang on my wall. I need to paint this somewhere. Um, every one of you, life would be so much better if we followed this advice, right? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Righteousness, let's not get hung up on that word. It's simply right action as determined by God, right? What God determines to be right for us to do. He says, be slow to speak, 
slow to, um, um, slow to, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, what James is focusing on here in particular are those emotions um, that cause us to be hasty towards action. Those potentially destructive emotions that will lead us to action that does not fit in with the righteousness, the right action of God himself. And that when we allow those emotions to have free range in our lives, is what James is teaching us, when we allow them to have freedom to, to do whatever they will, because that's what they'll do. They're automatic. They do whatever they will. When we don't manage these destructive emotions and allow them free range in our lives, that they will take over. They will lead us to destructive actions. They will leave us saying, I don't know why I responded like that. Or, or I wish I hadn't responded like that. Or I wish I hadn't said that. Or I wish I could take those words back. Or I wish that they would forgive me. It, it leaves us saying, I wish that I had a different outcome. But but often, and, and I think far too often, we go to, that's just the way I am, right? That's just the way God created me. That was an automatic reaction. That's my brain, the way my brain worked. But works. But as brain research has been telling us, we can train our brain. We can put a pause in those automatic reactions, right? And God knew this from the beginning, beginning of time. If not, he wouldn't be having stuff like this in the scriptures for us to say, if God knew that this wasn't possible, right, this, this just wouldn't be there. So God is saying, hey, there's these automatic processes that happen, responses, emotional responses like anger. Um, but, but you can control that. Right? You can control that by training your brain, and not just that, because I don't want to push this all off on you, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the thing that we can't neglect is the fact that this is hard work. Now, what I think James wants to get at in this text um, is not just anger and not just speaking, but all emotions that have the potential to be destructive. Now, the irony of these emotions is that a lot of them are useful. In fact, I was reading something uh, just this morning um, that said there are certain emotional responses that are necessary for our survival, right? When you look at these emotions, um, uh, and particularly the ones that we classify in a negative light, often those are necessary for our survival. So let's take anger, for example, the one that James uses here. Um, anger is not condemned in the Bible, right? Anger is not a bad thing. In fact, anger can be righteous because we see God getting angry in the scriptures. And so there's a such thing as righteous anger. It's a useful emotion. In fact, there's some things that we should be angry about, right? And if we're not Right, we're not living the righteous life that God desires. And so our hope is that we begin to desire the things that God desires, love the things that God loves, right? Desire the things that God desires for us. And there's some things that happen in our world, right? I don't really even have to go through that list um, of things that can't be within God's will, that make God angry. Abuse, violence, poverty struggle, even death, right? There are things that anger God, that exist in this world, and those things should anger us. But what James wants us to see is not that we don't get angry, because in Ephesians, Paul writes to the church, in your anger, do not sin. He wants us to see that we can be slow to do those things so that we can gain a perspective and understanding that allows us to challenge channel our anger towards God's righteousness. 
So look at what he says. He doesn't say uh, anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, but human anger, right? That quick response to a situation that angers us, that that when we respond so quickly with not, without understanding the situation, without being quick to listen, without being slow to speak, slow to become angry, right? Th- then often it's going to lead to destructive uh, patterns in our lives. And what James wants us to see is that we just got to slow down. Right? There's other emotions that do the same thing. Fear is an emotion. It is a useful emotion, right? It has a purpose in our life. If you, if fear protects you, right? Um, if you're in a dangerous situation and you're afraid enough to get out of that situation, then in that moment, that fear has been useful. In fact, it's an emotion that has been placed in us by God for our very survival because God knew that if human beings were fearless, we would, we, we would be extinct, right? We, we would kill ourselves off very quick and in a hurry. We'd do all kinds of stuff, daredevil stuff. We, we would do things that would risk our lives, end our lives real quick and in a hurry. So God actually put them there, the, uh, a fear within us that shapes us so that we can respond uh, to things that would ultimately harm us. So fear is a useful emotion. Um, but the Bible says that God did not give us a spirit of timidity or, or, or some versions say a spirit of fear. And what the scriptures are talking about there is that God didn't put this fear in us that hinders us from doing God's will. There are times that fear stops us from doing what God created us to do. There are times when God says go or times when God says give. And because of fear, we say, I, I don't see how I can or, or I don't. I just don't, I just, I just can't, I can't make myself do it. And so fear can be an emotion that hinders us from God's will. Another emotion that uh, has some usefulness. Um, and in fact, I, I actually changed my notes this morning um, because it said this emotion wasn't useful at all. But another one that has some usefulness is, <laughs> is some of you, oh, never mind, uh, is lust, right? Um, lust is an emotion that all humans have, right? And in fact, I was reading something this morning that said it's an emotion that, um, that, that even God has placed within us, right? Um, so that we can, uh, so that we can seek a spouse and, and that we can reproduce and fulfill what God created humans to be, to be fruitful and multiply. But when the scriptures began talking about lust as being, uh, sinful and something that's not God honoring, it's talking about this ongoing, um, um, uh, uh, it, lust that becomes perverted um, and outside of God's will when it exists outside of a love and a passion and desire for your spouse that works in a subtle way and draws you away from the will of God. But But for our existence, right, Fear and things like lust so that we can reproduce are, are helpful and beneficial in our, in our lives. Now, I, I remember the first time I, um, um, uh, 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 came, I don't know why I'm saying this, um, came to an, an understanding of the usefulness, uh, not the usefulness, um, the uh, harmfulness of lust in the life of a young man, right? I was in Lenox Mall, and uh, <laughs> I was just, I was just a young man. Um, I was going through, through puberty, uh, and uh, this girl walks past me, and I was mesmerized. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. And, um, I sat there. <laughs> I, I sat there. I think my eyes probably glazed over and I sat there for probably too long. 
um, just watching her walk away. Um, the song Brick House playing in the back of my head. <laughs> and um, it, it, it was almost like a light bulb coming on in my head, right? I, I had learned the scriptures. I had grown up in the church. I knew what my parents had said and what I had been taught about the way I should act and carry myself. Um, but um, and, and, and it was almost like a light bulb coming on my head that said, if you entertain this, right, if you entertain this, do you realize what your life will be like? There was a voice in my head that said, hey, it's, I didn't do anything wrong. I just, I'm just looking. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Right? If you entertain this, in that moment, did I hurt myself? Possibly not. But as a married man entertaining that, would I hurt myself? Definitely. Right? It becomes like a habit, an automatic function of the brain. It's an emotion. God placed emotions within us. He placed that one within me so that I could desire my wife. He placed fear within me so that I could stay alive. He placed anger within me so that I might act on the things that anger God. He placed them within me so that it might be emotions that I would do what James says here, right? That my brothers and sisters take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, right? That I would act intentionally and not impulsively, right? That I would act intentionally and not impulsively. Because once our impulses take over, they will lead us in a way that does not honor God. So James wants us to see that there's all kinds of emotions that go on in our lives and that those things are automatic functions of our brain, but we got to get control of them because if we don't, they will draw us away from the life that God intended us to live. Look at what he says when we go a little bit further in James chapter 1 verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Talking about the scriptures. Don't merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You see, the Bible tells us what it means to look like a human being. And it's what it means to look like a human being from the creator himself. And so in the scriptures, when we read the scriptures and God's word, we're learning what, God, what humans are intended to look like. And what the scriptures are saying, hey, if we look at that as a mirror, right, as a reflection of ourselves, but walk away and don't do what it says that we ought to do, right, then we're forgetting the image that we just saw and we're living out something totally different. And in the very beginning of the scriptures, in the book of Genesis, it says that God created us in his own image to reflect his own image that's the way that every single one of us is wired that's the way that every single one of us was meant to live to live in a way that honors god represents god and ultimately draws us closer to him 
And if our lives, our emotions that become like habits, automatic functions are, um, are, are drawing us away from God and from God's way and from God's will, then we've got to take serious action, right? Massive action to get control of those emotions and put them under the will of God himself. And the thing I like about this verse in James, this section of scripture, at least in James, is that James offers us some helpful advice, right? Um, and in James chapter 26, if we look even just down a little bit further, there's three things that he lays out for us. Um, and the first one is that we must learn to control our emotions, right? We must learn to control our emotions. Look at what he says in verse 26. He says, those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, right? These automatic responses that come out of our emotions, right? These things that we say, these things that we do uh, is, is a, a result of what we experience um, that doesn't keep a tight rein on their tongue, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless, and so James is saying, hey, it doesn't matter that you're coming to church every Sunday. You might even have perfect attendance, right? Um, it, <laughs> we're keeping track of that, by the way. Um, I'm just joking. Hey, back when this was Point University's chapel, um, there, there were little swipe machines back there. It used to be, when I was a student here, there were sign-up machines. But there were little swipe machines there. And I was actually downstairs in, the, in, downstairs in this little room downstairs. It's kind of like electronic room. And there's still like this swipe machine reader that's down there. Uh, it's like the computer that operated the swipe machines. Uh, we, we're not, I don't know where I'm going with that. We're, we're not going to have those. Perfect attendance doesn't matter. Um, attendance matters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me just attendance matters, right? We we care that you are here, but perfect attendance isn't what God is looking for. God is looking for a people who are committed to growing in him, right? Living in him, and the way he wired that to happen is through being a part of a community that fosters our growth. So God's not saying, "Hey, you know, you checked off your attendance. Hey, you prayed before you ate. Hey, you uh tucked your kids in, told them you love them and said a prayer over them at night, you're good. No, no, God is saying, hey, if your religion, right, doesn't help you get a tight rein on your tongue, on your actions, and your emotions are still automatically leading you into ways that, that, um, that do not line up with God's right way, with righteousness, um, and, and that's not progressively at least happening in your life, um, then your religion is worthless, right? Your religion is worthless. James wants us to see that God makes a sizable change in our life. Now, Martin Luther, you may have heard of, of him, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, the theologian, um, has uh, uh, actually rejected the book of James. Um, yeah, he, I think he cut it out of his Bible. He, he wanted to have nothing to do with it because he felt like the book of James was placing um, our salvation upon Works right. He felt like it was saying that the only way that we can be saved is if we control our tongues. And he was looking back at other teachings of Scripture, um, like in Ephesians chapter two, that says we're saved uh, by grace, right, through faith alone. Um, that, that it's only belief in Jesus Christ and the powerful grace of God that saves us. Now, what James does, which I love in this book, is that he anticipates challenges like Martin Luther's. And look at what he says. I'm going to flip ahead. We're not going to get there yet. But James chapter 2, verse 26, 
He says, and this whole section is about this, but he says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so he's not teaching us that, um, that, uh, that, that we're saved through our works, right? That, that getting a tight rein on your tongue is what saves you. Rather, he's teaching that your faith, right? That, that, um, the grace of God that comes through faith in him, that faith itself is dead if you don't, if you're not progressively at least getting a rein on your emotional responses that are destructive and lead to actions that do not line up with the righteousness of God. So he's saying, hey, there's something about your faith that's not genuine and true, right? If it's not working in your life, if it's not producing certain deeds, if it's not transforming certain habits and automatic responses of the brain. Second thing that, that James teaches us that's helpful advice for us here is that we must be missionally engaged, right? We must be missionally Engaged. Look at, at, at verse 27. It says, religion that our Father accepts is pure and faultless. I like that word, pure and faultless. The religion that our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. What he's teaching us is that there is um, there's trouble in our world. Right? That there's pain here. There is hurting here. There are people who are being overlooked marginalized, outcasted. There's trouble in our world. And God is calling us to those places. Now, I like the fact that James puts this here because he's talking about getting a tight rein on your on your, your tongue and you're getting your emotional responses that are destructive and outside of God's will uh, under control. But by him putting this here, he's teaching us that God's not just concerned with behavioral modification, right? He doesn't just want to change your behavior. The, the faith that God has called us to is holistic, right? It transforms our lives and our world, right? That God wants us missionally engaged. And so he's not saying, hey, get your life together first and then you can go out and serve me, right? Because too often we hear that in the church, right? That, that um, I, I can't get involved, right? Or, or I can't go to church until I get my life together, right? Uh, God is saying to us, come broken, right? Um, come hurting, uh, uh, come sinful, right? Uh, Come as you are, and I will use you for my mission in this world. So he says, hey, your religion is, is worthless if it's not making a, a difference in your life and the way you act on your day-to-day. But hey, you're, you're, not, you're still broken. You're still sinful. You still have problems. You still don't always respond to situations the way that you ought. But God's saying, in spite of that, I want to use you because my grace covers that. And I don't see you for <laughs> what you've done but who you are in me. And God loves you and wants to use you. So James teaches us that we got to get engaged missionally. Now here it says orphans and widows, and I still believe that applies today, but I believe also that James is using this as an example of the hurting and overlooked in our world. In biblical times, orphans and widows were some of the most overlooked people in their society. Um, people... Um, 
Um, um, women uh, did not have equal opportunity and rights, uh, and they could not work. Uh, oftentimes, apart from a husband, they had no livelihood, and no one was there to look after them. Orphans, they didn't have uh, foster care and homes and adoption programs like we have today, and often there was no one there to look after them. But what James is saying, hey, there are people who are overlooked in our world today, and that's the religion that God counts as pure and faultless is when we engage ourselves missionally to make a difference in this world. This causes us to pause and say, who's being overlooked in our environment, right? In our, in our homes, our workplaces, our communities, our society, who's being overlooked that God is calling us to love, to act on behalf of? Third, fourth thing, our third thing that James gives us is, is helpful advice is that we have to avoid negative influences. We must avoid negative influences. Look, look at how he completes this section. He says the religion that our father accepts as pure faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and, right, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, it's a fact of life that the people that we surround ourselves with will influence us. I think I said once that um, that we are a, what did I say? It was a quote. We, <laughs> I shouldn't have gone down this trail. I didn't think about this before just now. Um, we, we are, um, a, 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 God, I can't think of the word. Uh, we're, we're made up of the five people that we uh, most often surround ourselves with. Our identity is made up of the five people that we most often surround ourselves with. Uh, and so the, the people that are around us uh, influence us in who we are and who we become. And James here says to keep yourself from being uh, polluted by the world. Now, what James is not teaching and what the scriptures are never teaching is that as followers of Christ that we need to wall ourselves off from the world that we live in, right? Uh, Jesus says, um, that, you know, even in his last prayer with the disciples, that I don't want you to, he's praying to God, I don't want you to take them out of this world, right? But I want them to live most fully in this world, is what Jesus is teaching is what the rest of the scriptures are teaching and what they're modeling. So God's not saying, um, I want to remove you from this world so that you can keep yourself from being polluted by the world. But rather he's saying, hey, you got to have some godly influences around you. I've told y'all once, and I'll tell you over and over again, that I would not be standing here today if it wasn't for people in my life that can speak truth and the word of God into me from time to time, that can stand by me when I'm struggling and when I feel like I'm about to fall. I wouldn't do life without them. I wouldn't walk alone without them. Yeah, I need God, but I need people who are uh, physical, tangible, standing beside me. That's the reason why God wanted no man to be an island and he established a church a community of people that progress towards holiness together right so we have positive influences we must have positive influences in our lives in things like community groups and small groups city groups what we call them here at tri-cities church um so that we could live fully in this world so he's not teaching us to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world because we avoid it but because we gather with people who do believe people who are being transformed by the gospel and people who are speaking the gospel into our lives so that we might be influenced for the Lord, 
so that we might be mighty and strong, so that we might go out into this world and live fully in it, so that we can influence it for the glory of God, that his power might be seen and his love might be made known, not because we stand on a corner and read these words to them, but because we live it out every single day. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this powerful book of James, um, that it can speak into our lives things that, um, that, yeah, that we rule out and say are impossible. And God, I know I look at my, um, <laughs> yeah, I look at my own brain and some of the, the things it does. It's like it has a mind of its own. Um, it does what it wants to do, goes where it wants to do, thinks what it wants to think. And um, God, yeah, there's been times that I've wanted to say, um, there's, there's lust here and I, I can't control it. But I hear your scripture saying, with me you can. Yeah, you're, I, I want to say there's fear here and I can't control it. And, and yeah, I know what you're calling me to do, but I can't. But I hear your scripture saying, yeah, with me you can. And God, I, I even see anger from time to time. And anger is consuming. But God, you are even saying to that, with me, you can. I can channel it for your good and for your glory. So God, please help me to give those things over to you that you might be glorified and made much of in this world. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to sing this song simply says, I give myself away. And maybe this is a time for you to, um, to name that emotion that leads to um, destructive patterns in your life. Now, maybe it's anger, fear, lust, one of the ones that we've already labeled. Or maybe it's one of the many others that exist. Disappointment, discontentment, right? All kinds of emotions that are useful in their own right, but can lead us away from the way that God intended us and created us to live. And this song is an opportunity for you to say, hey, God, this area in my life has had control over me for far too long. <laughs> and that strength isn't in um, acting in destructive ways as a result of my anger or, or, or giving into these emotions, but strength and your might is most clearly seen when I'm able to say, no, you will not lead me away from a way that doesn't line up with the righteousness of God. So as we sing this song, maybe write it down, maybe think about it. But hey, when as it says, I give myself away, give that away to God. And say, God, I need your help. And as we sing this song, just you can sit, you can stand, you can do whatever.